Hello here, Steven from CanadianGameDevs.com. This isn't our usual show, but instead an interview, the first of many we hope to put into your podcast feed in the near future. These will be standalone episodes, hopefully bi-weekly, or whenever we get around to them. So if you want to get them as soon as they release, be sure to subscribe. In this interview, I speak to Michael Long from Foolish Mortals, an indie game studio from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, the only non-mobile game studio in the city. Their latest game, Radio General, released on Steam at the beginning of April admits the COVID-19 global pandemic. So we talked about what that was like, as well as where the inspiration for their World War II strategy simulation game with extensive voice controls came from, as well as all the background research they did to keep the project historically accurate, and we also talk about the game development scene in Saskatchewan. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I did having it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Must be a lot trying to ship a game in the middle of a global pandemic. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always, yeah, definitely a lot of work. Uh, the pandemic part actually doesn't change too much of what I do since I work from home anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just I see less people <laughs> in the evenings. In Radio General, you are in command. Strategize your mission. Radio in your orders and organize your units in unique operations. Charlie Company, coming, Charlie Company. Listening to your voice commands, units will respond directly to your transmissions. Heavy artillery coming in in sector 7. As your men uncover new intel, keep track of their discoveries to strategize your maneuvers. Choose your forces carefully. Veteran units can become specialists. Finish the campaign? Why not design your own missions? Challenge others to a battle of wits and will. Lead your army to victory. The fate of the war is in your hands. Yeah, so I got my first question was, uh, is the pandemic affecting uh, launch of the game in any major way for you and the team? Uh, no, I, I, I would say no, no. Most, okay. um, most of us work from work from home, so it's all right. Uh, GitHub and remote uh, video chats are pretty good for coordinating and stuff like that. So no. However, we're going to see about if it affects sales, however. Mm-hmm. More people are playing games than ever. Um, like Steam is now topping like 20-some million players. But a lot of people's jobs are uh, in on shaky ground. So I'm not sure if people are spending more money during this time. Mm-hmm. They're certainly playing more games, but will they spend money? I don't know. I saw Radio General on the up-and-coming list on Steam. So that means you're on a lot of wish lists, right? Uh, well, uh, so, certainly some. <laughs> I, I guess it's a good thing to be on that list for sure. I hope it's enough. So the team already worked remotely? You guys didn't have like a studio space or something? No, no, that's too expensive. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, have you been playing any good games while you're stuck at home? Sure. Uh, I recently been playing Slay the Spire quite a bit. That one's Ooh. quite fun. Ooh, I love that one. Yeah, it's a good for, you can just pick it up for a little bit, uh, save whenever you want. Another really good game, a strategy game, uh, Frostpunk, where you build a post post apocalyptic city in the in the Arctic. Very good. Might be a little too real right now, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's still winter here, so maybe maybe it feels like home. I don't know. I have a question about the name. Where did Foolish Mortals come from? Uh, that was a joke between a few of my university friends. Uh, we made a, a short video game for a class. And we wanted the boss to chortle at them and say, foolish mortals. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we'd quite the laugh recording that. So we thought it was pretty funny. So did a lot of the team meet in school then? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I got a master's degree at my university. And most of the people who helped me on this, on this uh, were lab mates. 
What school is that? In Saskatchewan? Uh, the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon. Nice. You say you're the only non-mobile game studio in Saskatoon. Are Absolutely. There, are there yep. other non-mobile game studios in the province of Saskatchewan? Yes. Yeah. There's um, there's a few. You could you can count them on um, one hand. Right. But yeah. <laughs> How connected is the game development scene in Saskatoon and Saskatchewan? I guess as a greater whole. Uh, not not very well connected. Hmm. Um, I also run the only I run a, a game design meetup once a month in the city. <laughs> only four or five people show up each month. Oh no. Regina's got a few more people. They got their own meetup. Definitely the province is lagging behind others. Mm-hmm. I think contributing to that is the provincial government only recently opened up a um, media grant program, whereas other provinces like BC, Ontario, and Quebec have had huge success with theirs for years now. Mm-hmm. And they're giving out tons of money. You often see many games um, with like Create BC logos mm-hmm. on them, something like that. Though. Luckily, you can also apply to federal, uh, federal funding, the Canada Media Fund. I did do that. Right. Yeah, we saw at the end of the credits there. It's a uh, CMF and Saskatchewan Creates is the. That's right. Okay, that's cool. So you were able to get some help from your provincial government and the federal government. That's right. Yeah, making making video games is a very risky business. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why anyone does it. Because <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask. Uh, what's it like making games in a province who I think his biggest cultural export is probably Corner Gas? Do you think? Yeah. Do you feel? We do, uh, sorry. We go do ahead. a lot of weed and potash, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> as far as cultural exports, though, do you feel like there's room for you know Foolish Mortals and and this upcoming game to be a a bigger thing coming out of the province? Well, I, I certainly hope so. Um, but I'm afraid my game is probably a bit too niche to be like a. A smash hit. Strategy mm. games are a tough sell already, mm-hmm. and especially one that's really hard to play like this one. Um, but it's got a unique idea. But as for, yeah, I think it, hopefully it does well enough. Uh, well enough to continue, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to continue making video games after this, but we'll see. We played it um, on Twitch this week, and we were, we were really surprised with it. I don't know what we were expecting, but we both had a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, thanks for giving us the opportunity to play it. Oh, no problem. Glad you liked it. Yeah. Uh, well, nobody knows what to expect. It's it's quite different. <laughs> so we have a couple questions about the game specifically. Uh, where did the inspiration for the game come from? Sure. So uh, a lot of these uh, military simulators, they all tout realism, mm-hmm. uh, like Arma 3 and stuff like that. Not necessarily World War II, but they all tout realism as one of their big selling features. Uh, but upon analyzing that, you realize that no... RTS or military sim is actually that realistic, especially strategy games, since you're normally this omniscient eye floating around the sky, and you give an order and your guys instantly obey and you see everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. So it kind of came from that idea of like, again, the general isn't some omniscient dude in the sky. He actually doesn't know what's going on. He's really far away. Mm-hmm. And also it came from the idea of I wanted to make an RTS game. I love RTSs, real-time strategy. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm really bad at art. I'm good at programming, but I'm bad at art. <laughs> so how could I make an RTS with as little art as possible? Well, the answer is hide everything from the player. Right. The only things moving are, I'm guessing, little 3D objects that didn't take as much time as animating like a little squadron on a map. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the animations and uh, you know much better models in like StarCraft II would take 
way too many resources to make. Huh. How much research went into each battle in the game? So I actually read six textbooks Oh wow! on Canada's involvement in the war. And before that, I'd been more of like an amateur uh, history fan. I, you know, played a lot of war games, watched a lot of war movies, you know, uh, war buff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also hired on a historian to help me to get all those historical documents. And so we both, me and the historian, historian and I, we mm. both uh, we both had researched a battle, write a few paragraphs about it, and then compare notes to see what lined up with what we found, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's how we did it. Cool. To that end, what's uh, what are some of your favorite World War movies that might have uh, inspired this game? Well, uh, obviously, Saving Private Ryan. That the big one's one. Pretty good. <laughs> Operation Market Garden. Uh, ooh, no, it's called The Bridge Too Far. The one of Sean Connery. That one's pretty awesome. Sadly. Uh, we couldn't get that into the game, but maybe mm-hmm. that'll be a, a DLC or something. Okay, future battles. Yeah. Uh, what was the biggest hurdle in development of Radio Generals for your team? Uh, definitely the the speech recognition. I was gonna say that it worked <laughs> so well. For, I was surprised just holding space. So I like it worked better than Siri on my phone. You know. Oh really? Well, like, that, that's awesome. <laughs> or at least my experience with Siri. But uh, yeah, I would like. I never. It never missed what I was saying. I was really impressed with that. Well, you must have a, a good microphone then. <laughs> yeah, I'm using a, a Yeti microphone. Yeah, that, like that. that is a huge challenge getting that. Um, it's a, it was a journey to, to get it working as well as it does. And I'm glad to hear it worked for you. But for a lot of people, it doesn't work all that well. Um, thing is, if you have a bad microphone, you often don't hear the results of the bad microphone yourself. Mm-hmm. And so then you blame the game. Um, but the game can't do anything uh, it's, it, the game can only use what you're giving it. So if you're using a bad microphone, there's nothing I can do about that. Mm-hmm. So how did the team tackle that challenge? Or you just um, came to the realization that it's dependent on the player's mic? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, making it making it work was a, was a journey. So we used an open source library for this. And out of the can, it was just atrociously bad. It, oh, no. It only detected like half the words... So we ended up making our own dictionary where we list what words the program should look for. That narrowed it down a little bit. And then we also decided to train it on an open data set. Um, this Mozilla offers thousands of voice clips uh, for free online. So you can train it on those. And then the last step was to record people playing the game and then train the model on those recordings that we, we got from other people playing the game again. Huh. That's pretty cool. How many people playing did you have to get to tune it? Uh, we didn't do the biggest sample. It was about uh, 12 people playing for um, several hours. Okay. And however, that was a bit tricky. So we'd record every time they, they'd push spacebar to, to record, we'd record a voice clip. Mm-hmm. And then we'd label it, make the file name be whatever the, the computer thought it was. What the what what they were saying? So like Abel moved to Delta three or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but since we were still, tr- you know, it was still pretty bad at that point. We were training it. We actually had to have a human then go over each voice file, listen to it, and then write the correct, uh, correctly label what was actually being said. And then once we knew the answer to what was actually being said in that voice clip, we could then train the program on that since we know the answers. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it it was. 
Oh man, does the, the does the what's outside the tent change for every battle? We we couldn't like uh we we missed it the first one, and then the second one we saw we thought it changed. Is it like the outside supposed to match where the battle's taking place? That's right. Yeah, we we have about five outdoor scenes, depending on if you're in England, France, or Italy, or on the beach. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We also watched the credits, and we saw that you're listed as like seven different things. What's it like working on a team wearing so many different hats? Do you have like a strategy to like stay focused on one task for a little bit, or do you jump from you know thing to thing? Oh, that's tough. Uh, I use Trello to basically. Do you know what that is? It's like a task management. That's right. Yeah, you put these little sticky notes up. And basically each day you write out five or six and say, okay, I'm going to try to tackle these. Mm -hmm. um, and you order them in priority generally. And then when you do them, you find out, oh, no, this one task I thought of, like, uh, I don't know, a localize it into French, turned into five different tasks because I need to um, change the, the text width of a bunch of buttons, um, add accents to the fonts. And so you, you add a bunch more sticky notes after you find one that splits off into a bunch. But uh, yeah, it's really tough. You have to be really uh, focused and dedicated to keep going because there's just a mountain of work ahead of you. I still have, even though the game is being released soon, I still have like 100 minor bug fixes and features I'd love to add, but uh, <laughs> we're not going to get through all of them. Mm -hmm. That language thing I didn't consider. When you get CMF funding, the game has to support French, does it not? Huh. Uh, I'm actually not sure on that. We were planning to support French from the beginning, so oh, okay. I'm, not, I'm not sure. I've only talked to a couple other studios who did it, and they had to have like French um, as part of their, like one of their deliverables. So I was just wondering if that's something you guys had to do as well. Uh, that sounds that sounds right. Okay, cool. Is there any other languages you're trying to get in, or I assume each language you add is a mountain of work. Yeah. So we're only doing English voice acting because uh, we're. You're controlling the Canadian Army, so we can assume most of them speak English, though some of them would have spoke French, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have subtitles and interface for German, Russian, simplified Chinese, Spanish, and, of course, French. Oh, man, that's a lot. Yeah, it's less work than you think. Um, the way you do, the way you handle localization is you have a bunch of CSVs or Excel files, basically, mm -hmm. and you have a, a column for each language, so... When it asks for, well, what should this button say? It then looks in the, the right language column for what what it should be displaying. Mm -hmm. right. What's one thing you wish you knew at the start of your you know, career making games uh, that you now know today? Avoid 3D. Okay. <laughs> Why do you say that? Oh, there's a reason a lot of indie devs stick to 2D. Uh, mm -hmm. 3D is just like that extra dimension is a thousand percent more work, especially when uh, I'm, again, I'm not very good at art, so... Trying to use Blender is a, a real struggle, that's for sure. Did you do a lot of the 3D models in the game? No, no, I didn't. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, that's a good thing. It would be bad. Avoid 3D if possible. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work. And if you don't have to do it, don't. Because, again, even like anybody can use Paint.net or whatever mm -hmm. to, uh, to make a simple 2D image, whereas it actually takes like 10 hours of training to do anything in Blender, and it will still be terrible. Mm -hmm. Did you and the team um, have any sense or any feeling of sort of, uh, or, or goals with sort of respecting the source material for this game? And, you know, you know, millions of people died and a lot of their descendants still, you know, might be someone who picks up this game. Was that 
Um, did you guys have like guidelines or a goal for how you would you know use this source material and implement it into the game? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's definitely definitely a touchy issue. Of course, um, we wanted to be very respectful about it, and um, we were so everything we use is uh, uh, in creative is a public domain. Uh, it's all taken by the government. Uh, Library and Archives Canada provided all the, the video and photos. Mm -hmm. And they actually even have letters uh, up there. And there's these letters of soldiers sent home to their families, and uh, often they died. And so we were considering including these letters, but we just couldn't find a tasteful way to fit that in. Mm -hmm. So instead, sometimes throughout the game, we have you, you probably, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have you write your own little letter to a fictional family of a soldier who died and we, we kept it all fictional because we didn't we don't want to include any names or anything mm -hmm. but we still we felt it was important to do that because a lot of war games reduce your troops to just numbers faceless numbers mm -hmm. and so oh you know we lost a thousand people in this battle whatever whereas in this game they are faceless right you never see them but you talk to some guys but then after the battle we want to try to punch you in the stomach saying you know hey, if you did poorly, you actually got a bunch of these people killed, mm -hmm. and it's your fault. But you'll never see them, and you've got to keep going. So we kind of want, want people to feel uncomfortable at some point. And um, maybe when, if, you, if you play through the entire game, um, we actually list all the, all the um, fake people that died throughout your campaign. <laughs> and that scroll can take a while. So hopefully you feel uncomfortable during those moments. I feel that games shouldn't always be trying... They should be fun... But they sh you know, shouldn't shy away from making you deal with serious subjects, too. Like, uh, books and movies deal with death and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of uh, the opening of Battlefield 1, where you're like... I don't know if you played it, but you... Yeah, you, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that's what I was, I was thinking when you said that. I don't know if any of those names are, are real or not. I didn't actually check, but it felt similar sure to either. what you're saying about that, paying, paying respect to it. Yeah. That's all the questions we had from our Discord, and we had. Is there anything else that you want people to know about Foolish Mortals, Radio Generals, the game dev scene in Saskatchewan? Well, uh, not too much, I guess. Uh, hopefully, people staying home from the plague will uh, play some games, and hopefully, Radio Generals are one of them. April 9th, right? On Steam? A April 9th. Excellent. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, Michael. Uh, we had a lot of fun with the game, and we're gonna we'll do a we'll do an article when we put the interview up and when the game launches oh perfect thanks so much good talking to you yeah you too thanks for covering the the canadian game dev scene it's good stuff yeah we're, we're having a lot of fun with it it's a lot more time to work on it now that we're all stuck at home so all right see you later see ya